Never Work Alone is brought to you by the Cinema Exchange in Milpitas, as well as Volante Verticals and Radium Camera. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's 2018. We're still here. Chris Denise and Evan Miller. Today in the studio, we have Kwong Lee with us. Kwong, what's going on? Hey, guys. Um, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Kwong is a creative director and a movie maker, filmmaker, director, and uh, he's going to tell us about his journey. And uh, Kwong, take it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I uh, I think... Uh, that's that was a very apt introduction. Uh, I'm I'm a narrative feature filmmaker, but I also, as we all do, we live here in in, in the Bay Area and we make uh, videos for for uh, corporations, and that's how a lot of the bread and butter is made. So so yeah, I think what I try to do is I try to balance those two worlds of narrative filmmaking and also. Um, corporate brand work. Let's go ahead and talk just a little bit about your uh, directorial work first. I think that's uh, something on everyone's mind, especially considering you have just won another an award uh, for for film number two. Yeah, that's thanks. Thanks for the setup there, Chris. That's great. Uh, yeah, um, I I just directed my second uh, narrative feature film. It's a family film called Best Mom, um, and uh, it's a world premiere in February. It's gonna world premiere at the Hollywood Independent Film Festival, where it won Best Family Film and Best Supporting Actress for our uh, supporting actress Donna Mills, who was in a TV show called Knots Landing back in the day. So that was that's a that's a that's a big um, big compliment. So I'm really proud of of that. Um, Congratulations! Can I yeah. can I ask how does it win awards if the show hasn't premiered yet, or does it, it like they judge it beforehand? I guess. Yeah, I think for this particular festival, um, they let people know beforehand. I think in different uh, different festivals I've been at, they don't let the people know to the very end. I think this particular one, um, for some reason or another, they let people know beforehand. Yeah, probably of, good for promotional. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Give you plenty of time. Like for example, like I'm probably going to promote. I'm promoting this now, and it gets more you know butts and seats at the at the at the festival. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So to take this from a freelancer angle, right? Can you sort of talk about? Starting that up and doing it the second time. Sure, you know, you know, it's it's actually funny. Um, this is this speaks to sort of the side, the free, my freelancer side as a freelancer director. I did not write Best Mom. I made Buddy Solitaire, and during the film festival circuit, um, I met another filmmaker um, who had a short in the Newport Beach International Film Festival. We were at a um, filmmaker function. And we got to talking, and she said, "Hey, I have this feature script that's kind of my life story. I'm looking for a director, right?" So I read the script, and uh, we started talking. And over the course of a year, we started plotting out the, the development of the story, kind of fleshing it out. And at the end of that time, she hired me to direct it. So that is me coming from a freelance perspective, kind of speaking to the value of networking, the value of going to film festivals, meeting other creative people, meeting other filmmakers. What were some of the big differences between your first feature and your second, getting gearing up for that? Because obviously, it sounds like in the second one, um, clearly just having uh, just having finished or completed the first one and showing it off was a little almost enough to to get somebody to approach you, or maybe by itself was enough to to start that process. But what was what was, what was the difference in challenges, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there's there's great uh, things about the second, and there's very challenging things about the second. The main thing about the, the second was I was a director for hire, right? Uh, I was paid for my services, whereas the first one, you know, I don't think 
anyone's gonna unless you got like a, a amazing script no one's gonna take a first time feature filmmaker and give them a pot of money to make a feature film right so I had to do a lot of the kickstartering um, a lot of like the the drumming up for for financing whereas it was amazing to be hired to direct a feature film for the second one so I'll always be eternally grateful for that uh, and one of the challenges was for Buddy Solitaire my first feature we had 18 days 17 or 18 days of shooting I think it's 17 plus one day of pickups for a hundred page script right which is intense but the second feature um, was only 15 days for a 110-page script. Wow. So the days were a lot more challenging for sure. Sounds like some pretty intense days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of wanted to ask, were you quick to say yes when you were asked to direct a second or this other feature? Um, yeah, I mean, I think what I, I liked her overall idea of, of the script. And her, her project is about a... Uh, a mother, an introverted mother, who tries to reach out to her daughter, and and at first can't, but she t- the mom takes a improv comedy class in order to to kind of get out of her skin, get out of her shell to talk to her daughter. That has a similar arc to my feature about a stand-up comedian who teaches at a mental institution. So there's a similar theme of comedy healing, uh, that kind of arc. So there was a similar through line which made me want to approach that project. Mm-hmm. Were were there other approaches? I mean, it sounds like, um, it sounds very streamlined the way we, we just discussed it, but were, did other people come out of the woodwork? Oh, I just saw your film at the festival. I really would like to talk to you about directing my script here. Can you take a look at my... Did, was a lot of that or was it really just one person? There's a lot of conversations, you know, and I think if you're lucky enough to get your film on the film festival circuit and have those conversations with other filmmakers, um you're very lucky. But at the end of the day, when it comes to making independent features, money talks, right? You either have the budget to make a film or you don't. And so I had a lot of discussions, but um, this was the project that had uh, funding. This was the project that had a script ready. This is a project that was ready to go. So um, just like in the corporate world, to have, you know, you can't really move on a project, as you guys all know, unless there's a budget together or a company that's initiating the video, similar to, to, to feature filmmaking. Um, you know, you hear the story in Hollywood a lot. A lot of films, a lot of people don't um, don't accept that a project's happening until they're on the day of the, the film, you know, the, right. the first day of shooting. Right. Um, I, I kind of agree with that myself sometimes, even with a budget. Sometimes it's like, well, we'll see. <laughs> when, when the cameras roll, then we're, then we're working. Sure. So sure. To, to go back to that conversation when she asked you to direct the film, uh, did you have a sense of how much budget there was already? And, and like, I guess for me, it's like, did how much consideration for crew and time did you put in before you came back and said, yes, I want to do this. I can be a part of this. Well, I mean, I think the, the key there was I, I, I was a big part of uh, the script development process. So she brought to me a first or an early draft. And together we, we sort of crafted and, and honed the story. And so I just I knew the general scope of the budget. And it was very similar to the, the scope of Buddy Solitaire. So I knew what we could do, we, what we couldn't do. We couldn't do huge you know, car chases. We couldn't do huge VFX. It was going to be a character movie. So I, I kind of, and that's why she hired me and my team, because we knew how to, we had done one of these projects before. So when I was developing her project with her, we kind of stayed within those parameters. Well, is, uh, is the budget something you're willing to discuss? 
uh, I just think the, kind of working within it. I think the best thing, the way to describe it, and this is the way I've said in film festivals too, it's SAG ultra low budget. And gotcha. People online can like look up what that means. In terms of working within a budget, a limited budget for a movie like that, um, as a freelancer, where, you're the director, but I'm guessing that a lot of your experience came into play here. Um, was this your client's first time uh, as well? Yeah, it was her. I mean, as well, well, I should say. She, she, she had made, made other short films, but this is her first feature. Okay. And so, you know, alluded to the experience. I mean, were you alluding to the sort of the corporate experience coming? coming yeah. There? Yeah. There's two ways. I mean, I think I, I mentioned this in a different talk uh, the other week. One, um, getting things done on budget is huge. Uh, for us making, like, media for for companies, that, that sort of, if you go over budget or you don't adhere to the budget, you're not going to be hired again, right? Right. Um, that was a huge thing for me. And working with my producer, uh, we were very, very cognizant of that. Secondly, um, it's very important for the kind of uh, corporate filmmaking we do to, to get your days done, make sure you get all the shots, get all the interviews. Um, just side note is that uh, for, for independent filmmaking, your days are 12 hours as, as, a, as a minimum. And then for me as a director, I was looking at dailies. So my days were 16, 17 hours. And so by the end of the 15-day shoot, I was like, give me back to a corporate shoot. <laughs> give me back to like corporate production. So um, the second thing is uh, in a corporate production, you kind of are very, very um, – you know, by the time I directed Buddy Solitaire, I had done maybe 100 uh, – corporate productions. And so I was very used to working with camera people, used to sort of working with sound people, transferring footage, all the technical elements of a, of a video shoot, I had a pretty good sense of. So that really helped get uh, both features in on time and on budget. Awesome. Yeah. Right. I, I, can I talk about how much overlap you had, I guess, in terms of your, your crew? Did you bring back a lot of the people you worked with? Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I Yes, I did. Um, my third feature is going to be shot in the Bay Area. And my first two features were shot in L.A., so I used a lot of crew that I had did short films with in Los Angeles. Not too many. A few DPs were under consideration um, for the uh, for the second feature, and you may want to edit this out or not, but some of the DPs within this... Uh, this, uh, this cinema exchange? Yeah, yeah, were, were, were considered. <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, crew considered from the Bay Area, but ultimately, because of being hired as a local, as an L.A. local, most of them were, were from L.A., but... Uh, for my third feature, it's going to be shot here, so uh, I'm planning to use pretty much all. Well, so listen up, uh, we just broke on the show. Quality <laughs> <will> be <laughs> crewing up, feature <laughs> crewing up from the Bay Area. Hint, hint. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Uh, but I guess more specifically, did, like I'm just looking to like, did you use the same editor or did you use like? Were there any people that you were like, I gotta have them on my second one? Yeah. And if so, why? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think. Um, the majority of the crew, uh, a lot of, I'd say 50% of the crew came on the second one who were from the first one, the same editor, the same line producer, um, lots of the same crew. A few people were, were different because of scheduling things. The, the, uh, they couldn't come upon the second one, but costume designer, editor, um, a lot of the, the gap, the gaffer was the same, the line producer, just so that you have that familiarity, you know? That's exactly what I was going to ask familiarity. about. <laughs> and then, and, Especially with the editor, the editor um, is a very talented editor. His name is Patrick Wells. He's in Los Angeles, and he cut Buddy Solitaire. Um, and just basically, me and him learned how to cut a feature together. And so I really trusted him with the second one. 
And so, yeah. Um, I feel like that's a, an important lesson we learn here on a regular basis is that it's a freelancing and it is about who you know and how you know them and your experience with them. It really is, um, you know, I think some of the biggest failings we see is when people hire based on the numbers or based on um, the resume and not based on getting that feel for that person. As you said, you've worked with that editor multiple times, developed a very comfortable feeling for that editor, and you're probably going to work with that editor again. Sure. Because you've built up this trust, too. That's the huge thing. I think it's really hard as a creative person to let go of things because you'd rather handle them yourself because it's easier to do that than try to communicate what's in your head sometimes. Right. How, how was it as a director uh, having not written a script? You know, that's a really good question. I think um, it was a different approach because for Buddy Solitaire, I wrote the script. I was, the pro- I was one of the producers. Um, I directed it, and I was part of the finance. <laughs> I put in some dough for it, right? Um, so I, I, at the end of the day, the creative calls were, were, were mine. Whereas for the second film, the new feature, um, I I put a lot. There was a lot of myself in it, but at the end of the day, I, I, it was a work for hire, right? I was hired as a director, so it wasn't my ultimate call. So I think there's two points of that. One is that it was kind of challenging to kind of like find where those boundaries are, but the, at the second, at the at a higher level, that's a very valuable lesson to learn. Right. If you're hired for, for bigger projects or hired on a TV show to direct or hired on a on a studio movie, that is a, a respectful line you have to learn. Like, hey, this is I'm trying to bring the best out of this script. Or I'm trying to bring the best out of this project. And how do you do that with with being respectful with your collaborators and the people who hired you? Absolutely. So I mean speaking of which um how was it working with your client? Do you think you will work with that client again? Um do you think she'll approach you with another script or yeah, I think it's uh, it's an ongoing relationship. I think you know we're gonna do the film festival circuit, which will be a lot of fun, and um, and uh, we'll see what the future holds. I, I definitely that that win at that film festival was a, was a was a big notch on all of our belts. So we're all really happy about that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, do you want to move on to uh, a little more of the corporate commercial career? All right. Sure. I liked what you said. How you were craving a corporate shoot, you know, with yeah. its cushy uh, <laughs> uh, time frame. Sure. After having those grueling 12, 14, 16 hour days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I mean, not, I mean, we all know that not all corporate shoots are that easy, but, you know, I'm sure we've all been on some um, uh, interview shoots that aren't, aren't too challenging. And so, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's just a different, it's just a, most of the time, um, corporate shoots are, are, are decently funded, right? And uh, and the 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 sort of contrast, if you're doing an independent feature where the budget's really tight, um, you can be decently funded, but you're still scraping for every piece of production value from that budget. You know, yeah. every day is valuable. You know, the, the, it's important that the food gets on set. Um, you know, making sure that people have water. Those are, I mean, making sure that people have water. That's like a, that seems like a very basic thing, but that's very important on, on these independent films. I, you know, I learned a good rule in Boy Scouts, and it was a good leader brings water to his people so they can get on with the task at hand. It has absolutely served me well as a producer and director, and I'm sure it is, you know, seems super simple, but it's really important. Totally. It's like, uh, you know, a happy a, a happy crew is a is a crew that's well fed, you know? Yeah. And I think I think the thing with independent films is that, uh, you know, I think on sometimes on corporate shoots, you know, you wear a lot of hats. But on independent films, for sure, you're wearing a lot of hats. You're making sure that, you know, people are happy. You're making sure that uh, the day is done on time. Um, you're making sure that, uh, you know, the location's there. It's just uh, it's 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 a lot more um, it's more more demanding. 
And that's why I made that joke that I was kind of craving the uh, corporate shoot afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think that there's much crossover between the type of crew that work on corporate shoots and the type of crew that work on narrative shoots? You know what's great about I was uh, talking with this to a friend the other day. What's great about the Bay Area right now is um, a lot of corporations are doing more narrative-based, more interesting, more story-driven content. And so um, a few DPs I work on, I worked with in 2017, they're doing narrative commercials. They're working on features in the Bay Area. So I think there's a lot of crossover. I think, I mean, you know, if you're a freelancer and you only want to do corporate videos, you know, God bless you. But, like, there's there's a lot of uh, opportunity to do more creative stuff. So I want to start. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about hiring freelancers, and I'm going to kick us off with a little bit, of, a little anecdote from uh, a meeting I had yesterday, and uh, from from freelancers that approached us uh, for space needs, and we went and we walked, uh, we walked the space, and these were photographers I'd met at a, at a launch of another studio a while back, and they'd uh, wanted to look at one of the one of the spaces, and they called me up and. You know, let's let's book some. Uh, let's book a walk through, and we'll you know they had this big shoot, this big bridal shoot they wanted to do, um, you know, very uh, stylized and you know, use the architecture and that sort of thing. And we we went over there. Sounds great. Um, you know, I, I kind of handle these things for uh, the property because uh, there it's an event center, and they don't really uh, deal with photography and videography uh, that's not involved with a wedding. Um, so. Uh, went over there, met with them for about two hours, and talked through all these details. You know, these are very professional uh, filmmaker, or fi- professional photographer and filmmaker uh, team. And the very, very end of it, got all through, all through this. Okay, let's let's talk about you know what, what, what we can book and that sort of thing. And one of the first sentences that came out was, "Well, we were looking at this other venue, but of course we we had to turn them down because they they require a a booking fee and." and Wait, did did we just spend two and a half hours talking about a project that you were expecting to get for free? Uh, the entire time talking about how this is what you do for a living and, uh, you know, you make very good money at this, and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden tried to sell us on, yeah, but the, the pictures we take are going to be great. We think it's going to be great for your website and all this sort of great stuff. And hmm. How do you deal with a situation like that? Me personally, I unfortunately, I it was very, you know, it was fairly polite. Like, great, great, yeah. Just also, who, you know, contact me. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk in the future. And I haven't heard back from them yet, but I'm expecting to hear, a, you know, get an email at some point and just kind of politely, yes, and probably kicking yourself for not bringing it up early on. Right? It was kind of one of those things of, uh, but more importantly, to me, it was almost how did I get so far without realizing that that, you know, it, it, I kind of felt duped. I, sure. I, it was one of those, they had been very good about sure. avoiding that question the entire right. time we talked. Um, and not not just avoiding it, but making it, you know, again, they were professionals. They'd contacted me on a professional level right. uh, about booking space and just p- hmm. kind of had been a right. very obvious assumption that space comes with a fee. That's right. what we it's do like for a living. It's like when the guy <laughs> in the tuck shows up in Dine and Dash, like, well, you never saw it coming, huh? Exactly, <laughs> yeah, right. And, you and you know, so it was just one of those. And, and, of course, I'm going to unfortunately have to politely, you know, I'm sorry, we also have a minimum booking fee. So if you guys are looking for a free shoot, we just can't do anything for you. Um, but have you dealt with that? How do you deal with that on a corporate level? Right. Well, I, I think there's two sides of it. I think that, like, on the hiring side, I would never ask someone to do a corporate project for free. It's just uh, the corporations are making millions and billions of dollars. Why? Why? Yeah, there's no reason to make a freelancer work for free. Um, I think, yeah, for on, on the freelance directing side, um, I think a lot of people are looking for freebies. You know, I think the I think Evan touched upon. He asked 
you put it pretty close to the beginning of the conversation, yeah. you know, hey, you know, what kind of budget you're looking at? You don't have to be a jerk about it. You're like, hey, is this like, I'll, t- I'll give you an example. I was talking uh, to a, about a project uh, w- with someone recently and, um, you know, she was saying how she had a relatively low budget. So, okay, well, that's fine. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, they were looking for kind of some inspirational video. But, you know, if you don't have a big budget, maybe it's not the beautiful stock footage and the motion graphics. Maybe it's just the key stakeholders talking to the camera saying, you know, how motivated they are, right? There's solutions, right? Yeah. But I think that it's, I mean, I think we all, sh- all freelancers share the same feeling that you feel sort of um, used if yeah. someone's trying to get work out of you for free. Yeah. But I, I will say, okay. but I will... Um, make a comment here that sometimes I've done free work. Sure. But it's only because of, uh, of, of two reasons, right? One, you love the project and you want to, your heart's in it. Um, and two, you love the people that, that, that are bringing you on. So I don't want to say that um, you never do a free work because a lot of times that leads to paid work. But I think for it's, if it's a corporate um, transaction, some kind of hiring situation, um, I, I, I personally would not do that. Yeah. Well, and here is what I think I wanted to get at is I feel as re, as freelancers, we have a responsibility on both sides. We've talked multiple times before about the client that comes to you with the, oh, okay, I'd like some free work here. going to go ahead and get some spec work from you, and then I'll decide whether or not I want to pay you for it. You know, and, and, and of course, the, the easy go-to for me is like, would you ever get a plumber to come out and do some spec plumbing on your sink? And then if I like how you, did, how you fix the sink, we'll go ahead and pay for it. No, that's not how that works. Well, uh, it was it, my chagrin yesterday to kind of be reminded that as freelancers, we also have a responsibility ourselves to the client to kind of not do the same thing back. And realistically, that was business to business, to not do the same thing to ourselves. Because that was a, a essentially a peer coming to another peer or another colleague saying, hey, can I use you the way that clients occasionally try to right. use us? <laughs> I mean, I think there's, there's, there's something to be said for barter. If, if they have Absolutely. some kind of to offer you, hey, we'll give you... XYZ for yeah. your XYZ. That's fair. But I think if it's just something where like, hey, you know, you can use it on your reel, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not going to cut it. Like guys, right. you know, we've been in this for seven years or right. you know, whatever the case is. I think, yeah, we do talk about when to take free work on this show a yeah. lot. And I think uh, it's an interesting point that you brought up about, you know, do you really like the people involved? That I don't sure. think yeah. we really considered much before. And I think that's a nice qualifier to think about because if you have a prior relationship with somebody, yeah. you're much more willing to do them yeah. a favor. I met these people one time. Had they had they been good friends of mine, and which of course I've done here, even at our at our own studio, I've, yeah. I've let people come in and shoot for free here right. occasionally, use some of my equipment, but they're good friends. I know right. I'm going to get this back karmically, if you will. Uh, yeah, so maybe when you're trying to say no nicely to people yeah. that are asking you for free work, it's like, listen, I don't do discounts for people I don't have prior relationships with. You know, sure. if you want to establish a relationship and we get something going, yeah. maybe for the fifth job or yeah. the yeah. tenth job or when your son's getting a bar mitzvah, I'll do something. You know, but it's like right. you can't expect me to do a discount if I net don't know you. As a freelancer, you know when things are, are kind of going beyond the line or it's like, well, you know, I'm looking for, for free, you know, can you do it for, for food? You know, unless you have that relationship with them or their project is amazing. That's when you kind of draw the line. So it's it's all it's a all, it's all kind of uh, with what makes sense for you. I, I definitely wanted to ask more about the qualities that you look for uh, in in your crew. Sure. Have you ever had to fire somebody on a right, crew? Right. Um. No, and that's that, and that's because of a couple things. Like uh, I, a lot of my pro- my jobs is to go to a site, go to a city. That I've, that I've never shot before, source freelancers and get a crew ready for a shoot, right? And I do two steps. I'm, actually, this is the first time I've verbalized. It's kind of just a natural <laughs> process for me. So uh, I'm kind of thinking out loud as I, as I go about it. There's two, uh, on the top of my mind, there's two steps. One is to look at the reel. 
I look at the samples, right? Um, and, and, and if it's a it's an interview shoot, I look at their their interview footage. If it's a narrative production or if it's some sort of, sort of like a more B-roll product shoot, I look at their product footage. I want to make sure that they are right for the project, okay? So let's say I have a shoot in... Um, I have a shoot in Orlando coming up, right? So what I did is I, I sourced different crews in, in Orlando, different small production companies, and I looked at that that type of footage, okay? That's step one. So I know they can do the job. Step two is I have a nice conversation with them on the phone. I talk to them about what like what other projects they do. You know, I kind of talk to them about the scope. I just have a kind of like a 20, 30 minute just a person-to-person chat. And that chat can lead to a lot of really interesting um, discoveries, they can be really uptight. They can be really sort of um, uh, difficult to communicate with, or they can be just really pleasant and, and nice, you know. And ten times out of ten, I'll go with the nice person. Okay. That just happened to me recently when I was sourcing a crew in Vancouver. Both had pretty similar reels, but one person was kind of playing hardball with me, you know. And then after, even after um, I told him he didn't get the job from the other guy, he said, "Well, why not? You know, like, you know." He kind of gave me the third degree about it. And so that kind of confirmed my feeling. Obviously, right. I went with the person who was very laid back. But uh, I like how you said, no, I've never had to fire anybody. And there was like a look of pride in your eye. And I was like, I wonder what that's coming from. And I think it's to say that you, you spend the time to really hire the right people. You know, you don't, you don't make decisions quickly. You take right. the time to call somebody right. instead of just writing the email. You know? Right. What, what are some of these things that you pick up on on the phone? You know, how could somebody be more likely to get hired by Kwong Lee on the phone? Right. That's a great question. I think it's, it's a willingness. You know, I think there's a, great, um, there's a great production company out of Vancouver. I'll give him a shout out. Big House Productions, right? And he did, he did everything right. Doug's a great guy. And we, we've become friends after that. And I think, you know, this is great feedback for freelancers. Be open. Be, be, be collaborative. You know, if, 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 the, the vendor, if the hirer has an idea, hey, maybe, you know, do you think we should do drones? Maybe, yeah, let's try it. You know, I know a couple of drone people from my, from my region. Let's give it a shot. The budget might be too high, but I'll give you some numbers. You know, it's a game. You know, you're tossing a ball. They're tossing a ball back to you. Don't be like, don't put your, you know, don't. I'm, I'm physically in the room right now putting my hands <laughs> across my, my chest. No, you know, this is the rate. This is what you can get, period, you know. Um, everyone's human. You know, we, we want to work with each other and we want to be open. And so I would advise freelancers just to, be open and be collaborative. Maybe take that rule from improv where you say yes and. Sure, you know, absolutely. Of people down. Absolutely. Like that. that's, one, that's one of great. the best pieces of advice I remember from working on set is a, a crew member, I think it was a gaffer, said to me, oh, we never say no in this industry. We say yes, but. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> that's Beautiful. A, that's a great. That's because uh, you can always, it, it's so much easier to say, yes, we can, but, or I'll take a look at that. Right. Possibly. Right. Because it's, it's a much more positive. It, it gets a lot more buy-in from the client and you've definitely not committed yourself to anything, right. which right. is of course what you're, what you're trying to avoid. Yeah. I mean, and just to touch back on what I said, uh, you know, a, a little while earlier, it, when someone came to me with, you know, what's great about this conversation, I can, I can speak to it from the sort of client side and the freelancer side. Right. So when a, uh, a person came to me for a narrative project and told me she had a limited budget, I'm like, well, maybe you can't do X, Y, and Z, what you're looking for, but maybe you know it's 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 people speaking into the camera talking about th- th- this and that. You know, maybe it's a more a simplified thing. You know, so there's always options. Um, I think the 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 way not to go for a freelancer is just to be really 
sort of stuck in your ways and just being really, really firm about things. Well, part, of your, part of our job is to be creative and especially to be, I, I, I talk about this a lot um, with our own projects is our job is to be creative for the client. Um, and a lot of times it's even to be creative for the creative people because a lot of times creative people aren't very creative unless you stimulate them properly. And a lot of the job as a producer or director is, it, that's your job. Right. As an actor, you're, 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 I mean, as a director uh, directing actors, you're to help them get in the space that you want them right. to be. Um, same thing with the DP, to, to help him create the visual you're going for, right. the, the vision you've put together. Is there a, a commercial project, actually, that you can talk about that you've had to do similar things where you've had to rein in maybe a customer or a client um, and use your freelancers to the best of their creative ability to make something really pop, uh, to, you know, to bring out something uh, that maybe was a little duller uh, because of the budget size or something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um it's just being creative, you know, with, with what you have and trying different things. It's like, for example, I, I, I was doing a, um, a video for a science company and, um, and they wanted to be really fun, a, a stop motion project. And there was a limited amount of budget. And so I wanted to put the budget to the stop motion, right? So I switched up the location to a science lab that I had access to that had tons of, it was originally in a different location, but I switched the location, the live action location to um, a science lab and made it a, a, a stop-motion live-action hybrid. Because originally, if we just had the money for the, um, we just had the resources for the stop-motion, it'd be cool, a cool stop-motion video, but to add a little pop, I added a, a live-action component that was basically free. So just really th- trying to think about different ways to approach the project. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, how to, how to sort of prioritize where, where you want your, your budget to go, right? You know, do you hire a second assistant cameraman or do you hire an associate producer, right? Like, sure. How do you make those those calls, I think, is, yeah. is so important, you know? It's, Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, to go back to the title of the show, right, we call it Never Work Alone. I kind of wanted to hit on this fact that it's like you have this relationship with your editor. And I know that there's probably a temptation to think, well, it's my feature. I wrote it. Why don't I edit it too, right? How, how did you sort of, you know, decide that you wanted to give that to somebody else? Right. That's a good question. Um, ed- anyone out there who's listening to this podcast who ends up making a feature, I, I read about this and I didn't believe it, that <clears throat> there's an anecdote that when you watch your, all your scenes, your, your assembly, your first cut, um, you'll want to kill yourself, right? <laughs> and I just like, ah, come on now. But I, when I saw my first assembly, I was like, oh, my God, I just wasted all this time and money on this piece of crap. And ultimately, the movie got bought by Hulu, and it was, it was great. You know, it did the festivals. It was a success. But that moment, I could honestly feel like I did not want to work on it anymore. Luckily enough, my producer was like, because I was cutting a lot of it myself, you know, uh, cutting scenes. Um, she brought on the person who ended up being the editor, and... In the beginning, it was actually the opposite of what you're saying, Evan. It was just like, okay, I, I can't deal with it anymore. And that person put it together and put together a second cut that was like, I mean, there's some psychological elements of me seeing this like string out that wasn't very good in my mind because I had been so familiar with the footage. And they were able to transform it into a breathing narrative that actually still had flaws but worked. And that to me was like, you know, nectar for the gods. Yeah, kind of a breakthrough, probably. <laughs> absolutely, right? absolutely. Not to get discouraged. Yeah, I heard once that an editor's job is to like show the director that he actually has a film. <laughs> right. At the yeah. end of the shooting, the director's yeah. so exhausted, yeah. and everything's been taken out of order sure. that they're they're not even sure if they got it all. You right. Know? Absolutely. That's that's huge. I mean, 
that was that was exactly how I felt. I was like, I was literally discouraged. Like, I put all this time and money into 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 nothing, and that editor really saved the day in terms of kind of making me realize that there was a movie there. So let's uh, just briefly, I think, to wrap up, let's touch a, a little bit more on uh, on the corporate side. And I wanted to to pop out a phrase I think I've maybe mentioned a couple times before in previous casts, which is hire slow, fire fast. Mm. You said you've never had to fire anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had to walk off a job yourself or or not take a job? I've never had to fire anybody. But as you guys know, this is a freelance business a lot of times in Silicon Valley. And people who end up continuing to work um, continue to work, right? I've had okay. situations where, like, I haven't brought someone back. Right. It's they never fired been... themselves. Right, right. I've never I've – never fi- but it's, it's, you know, a freelancer, as you guys all know, comes to work when – a client calls you and says, hey, can you come? Can you work in February, right? Those calls can stop coming. Yeah. So I don't want to say that, like, I've never done that because I, I, I have, like, stopped calling. And that's just from the same reason we all know, like, attitude, quality of work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, have I ever been – have I ever walked off – are you talking about on a narrative project or a corporate project? E- either one. And I don't, when I say walk off, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, in the middle, you know, of the shoot, sure. get, throw, throw, down throw, the throw down the headphones sure. and walk yeah, off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. has there been a point? Because I, I personally have um, – it took a while. And honestly, right. it was the kind of thing that I would, I would put up with a lot. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, th- I think three years ago I finally – in the middle of a project right. was right. like I'm I'm done I'm not coming yeah. back at this I can't I can't yeah. do this anymore. Have you ever had that, that kind of experience? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, on the corporate level, no, because these are like, I mean, I, I've quit jobs, you know, sure. but uh, but these are the kind of like full time gigs. Well, then, um, have you had anyone do that to you? Maybe a couple of freelancers who you just got in over their head on yeah. something they weren't ready for, or yeah. they just weren't ready for twelve-hour days, yeah. or whatever the case was. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so interesting. Like, um, a lot of times, because independent films are really intense, a lot of people go in for like very beautiful reasons. They want to make a piece of art. They mm-hmm. want to get into the film business. But I've had in the course of these two features, like PAs or you know sound people or whatever or, or grips, just not show up the next day. Mm. You know, either because they're being paid very little. They're always paid, but, like, um, the reality of, of those 12, 14-hour days is not part of their sort of um, idea of what the idyllic aspect of working on a film set is. And, it's, and as we all know, it's far from idyllic sometimes. So I think I've had that for sure. Basically unprepared freelancers or unprepared for the freelance world. I think so. I think so. But you know what? I think it's not for everybody. You know, I think, I think it's it's... People see the end product. They see a beautiful video. They see a beautiful narrative. They see an amazing movie, amazing music video. But, you know, they don't really understand. I don't want to sound pejorative, but there's a lot of hours and blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that. Well, I'll put it this way. I had, I had a client three weeks ago come in and halfway through his shoot finally went, whew, I, I had no idea it takes this much to, to make this this kind of a thing. I just I, I kept thinking, why can't you guys just show up with a camera? And yeah. now I understand. There's right. seven people running around here. There's lights. You're adjusting everything every time I move the wrong way. And it's something that from a, I think from a freelancer, yeah, as you said, you see that end product, that beautiful Hollywood movie, and you go, I want that. I want to be known for that. I want that as part of my resume, whatever the case is. And what you end up with is in that first two or three weeks of heading that way, realizing, that took a lot of work. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think there's some people in, in certain industries probably lend themselves more to it than others that kind of fluff themselves up, make their job seem more difficult than it is sometimes to try to get that response out of the client. 
And I well, I think like your the the ends may justify the means sometimes there. I think that often if you're just really skilled at your job and you sort of do things smoothly, your client will notice anyway if they're smart yeah. enough. You know, hopefully, you know, if they're not gonna notice it. They're not going to notice it when you're fluffing yourself up either. On right? on average, you got a bell curve. I think of in, in most situations, clients included. Most clients are going to notice you being professional if you're just professional. You don't have to tell people you're going to be professional. You don't have to remind them. Right. They'll notice because right. that's what most of us, as any client is going. When I'm a client, I'm looking for a professional. Chance, Absolutely. Yeah, chances are they've worked with other people too, so they don't need you to tell them how difficult <laughs> things are. You know? right. They just want to see you handle it. Yeah. Right. I did yeah. want to just quickly mention uh, because you were talking, we were talking about firing and, you know, like quitting jobs potentially. I had this insight last year that I am so much more willing to give up on my own personal creative projects than I am when I'm hired to do the job. And I agree. I, You know, I think it's just sort of instinct where it's like I will put up with so much crap and deal with so many endless revisions or doing things a hundred different ways if I'm getting paid. But if it doesn't work, if it's my own personal creative project and it doesn't, like, I see that first assembly, I'm like, can yeah, it yeah. not work my time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. With another couple hours, yeah. it might have been great. Right, yeah. right. It's hard. I think let you touch upon the uh, part of being a creative that's half incredibly confident because it takes incredible confidence to embark on a project and then half insecurity of, like, am I doing this right? Does this suck? That's that's in all of all of us. Yeah. Well, it's uh, been a pretty big, pretty big. Wow, it's been a pretty good podcast. Chris is hammered. Oh, I'm, I'm halfway through my Bud Light with a little uh, clamato in it. Yes, I'm. Oh, hey, before we stop, I did want to um, uh, talk about my production company that yes. done, done a lot of these narrative and documentary projects, um, as well as cor- corporate projects called Satellite Films, and our website satellitefilms.us, and uh, come check us out. Awesome, you heard it first here on uh, Never Work Alone. Your next film is? Um, it's a road trip thriller called Caravan, and it's about a um, couple who their dreams have been shattered in Los Angeles, and they take a road trip back home to their parents in, in the Bay Area. And, and it all takes place on the 5 freeway, and what seems to be just a, a hijacking thriller turns into something very, very different, a magical sort of science fiction story. Well, we look forward to it. Do you have a date for the uh, film festival in February? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, well... I wish I did. The film festival is in uh, play, is at the ArcLight from February uh, 21st to the 28th. I don't know the exact date yet, though. But that's that's where it's playing. ArcLight in Los Angeles. Awesome. And if people want to check out Buddy Solitaire, they can? BuddySolitaire.com or Facebook backslash Buddy Solitaire. And you said who? Too? It's, and it's available. Yeah. So there you go. That's probably yeah, the easiest yeah. way for yeah, our fans. Absolutely. Well, Kwong, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It's been a wonderful getting back into it podcast right here from the uh, the podcast pod by Volante Verticals over here at the Cinema Exchange with equipment by Radium Camera. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>